Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church here in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 10.10. And Christianity in America today right now seems to be suffering a crisis of faith. So it's important for us to know what we really believe. Is your faith real and does it make a difference? The life of Elijah the prophet had a lot to teach us about the power of real faith. Pastor Sean will be teaching from 1 Kings chapter 19. The new series is called Unseen, Awakening Real Faith. The message is called Marked by Faith. It's time for Real Life Radio. It's one thing to say you believe, but it's another to actually believe. Because what you really believe always impacts what you do. Your belief and behavior always go together. Not what we say we believe. Because we might say we believe one thing, but what we really believe is revealed in our behavior. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks. This idea of unseen, awakening real faith. Too much faith out there that is just words. And we're going to talk about real faith. Unseen, awakening real faith. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's where the title of this comes from. The idea of unseen, this faith of ours. The the scripture says, in fact, Jesus said in John chapter 4, he said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And that's unseen. And the unseen is hard for us. I mean, let's just acknowledge it. We were raised in a culture. We were conditioned to know that this material stuff, this is real. This is what's real. Stuff that is unseen is hard for us to process. Because we often think, well, if I can't see it, it's not real. You know, it's one of those things where um, uh, being a musician, you know, doing that as I was kind of getting established and doing some different things, obviously you would know I sold some insurance um, because that's what we musicians do. (laughs) Sold insurance. I had several other sales jobs and things like that when I was preparing for ministry and when I was doing music stuff. And the deal about selling insurance is, and you know, insurance is important. The problem is you can't see it. You know, you can't see it. A friend of mine's dad has this old saying, just say, no, we're talking about something, he goes, you can't eat it. Can't eat it. Wow, that's kind of bringing it down to real life, right? Can't eat it. Insurance is kind of tough because because I'm selling them something that, one, they can't see, okay, and they hope they never use, okay, and until you actually have to use it, it's like, okay, I'm paying for this, but what am I getting? It's like at the the appointment, I'm like, no, but you're going to get the insurance. Yeah, but what do I get to take? You're taking a check. Okay, I'll take the check. You get this piece of paper. There, you get that. I'll take the check, you take the piece of paper. And it feels like you're buying something that's not real until, of course, you use it. I also had a sales job where I sold floor covering and, you know, carpet, wood floors, tiles, stuff like that. And that was great because people would come in and they were were ready because, you know, they knew their floor looked like garbage or whatever. They wanted a new floor. They wanted something different. And they could come, they could feel the carpet. They could look at the wood. They could handle the tiles. And for them, it was like very tangible, and they were a little more excited. Not that they always bought, but they were motivated because they could see it. You know, in my mind, the best sales job would be like one of those guys in the mall who gets to fly the little helicopter right there in the mall. Because I go by those, and they've got me. I'm like, look, honey, he's flying it in the mall. 
You know? And I mean, that you can sell because I'm right away, I'm like, I must have that. That's awesome. And Lori's like, you're 53. Come on, come on, let's go. No, but it's it's flying in the mall. Because you can see it. You can touch it. It's sometimes with faith hard to see it and touch it. I think that's one of the reasons why God gave us the Old Testament. The Old Testament is such a beautiful kind of introduction, okay? Because we get to see God at work with real people. He's revealing himself. He's teaching us through a family, which becomes a nation. And he teaches us about himself. He makes it visible as he works in context with people. It becomes local. It's not just this ethereal thing out there in the cosmos. It's local. It's tangible. It's real. So if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. You know, we have a Bible reading plan at reallife.org, which is our website, reallife.org. And you can go check out our Bible reading plan. We read a chapter a day. We've just come through the book of 2 Kings. And there were such cool things there that I saw that I thought, I want to talk about this. Because there's such a powerful illustration and lessons about the walk and the life of faith. Now, when 2 Kings starts, the times are not great. The kingdom is slipping. The kind of dynasties of David and Solomon are becoming a distant memory, a line of godless kings, almost exclusively, with a few exceptions, but predominantly godless kings. We read over and over, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they led the people, and idol worship and paganism began to press in, and it was a dark time. The faith was really in the hands of the prophets, a few prophets, most notably at this time, the prophet Elijah and his apprentice, Elisha, which we're going to see the transfer. So this is the only sermon on this series where you're going to hear me go back and forth between Elijah and Elisha, which is fun to do in front of a bunch of people, okay? <clears throat> so you enjoy that, because as, when we go on from here, we'll just be Elisha, because we're going to focus on Elijah, Elisha. But Eli, in this transition, there's a very interesting scene in Second Kings chapter 2. And I'm going to start right at the beginning, verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah... Up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, remember his apprentice, were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. It's like, dude, the guy just wants a little privacy. I mean, this, this, this kind of stands out and you go, what, what's going on here? Nope. Yeah, but I'm just going to Bethel. As the Lord lives and as you live, I'll not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha. And they said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. So then Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophet who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha. And they said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered them, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. It's like there's this big secret that everyone knows. All this drama, a big secret that everyone knows. Have you ever had that, you know, around the office, around the family, around the church, whatever? Big secret, but everybody knows already. No, no, don't tell anybody. It's on a sign, really. Come on, stop. Everybody seems to know that Something big is happening. Elijah is going to, in some way, be leaving. And he says, and for some reason, Elijah's like, stop talking about it. Now, the third time, Elijah said to him, to Elisha, 
please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So three times. And he says, no way. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Do you realize how kind of odd this is? Here's Elijah and Elisha, and then these 50 guys going, oh, it's going to happen, something good. I mean, all this is kind of just this tension is building, and they're just wanting to see what's going to happen. So 50 of them are there. Then Elijah took his cloak, and he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what this whole drama, this whole cat and mouse is about. It's kind of, it has come to be known that this is Elijah's last day on earth. And for Elisha, who had agreed to follow him and had followed him everywhere, it's kind of like a final exam. He refused to leave his father in the faith. You see, Elisha has a hunger for something, a burning desire, and we're revealed what it is. He wants the spirit. He wants the spirit of God that he had seen in his mentor and his spiritual father, Elijah. He says, I want that, and I will do whatever it takes to get it, and I won't stop following until I do. See, it all started for Elisha seven years earlier. You remember the story, and maybe some of you do, um, Elijah, the prophet, had had this incredible kind of con- this this confrontation on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and, and Elisha and he had won this huge victory over them. Fire from heaven. I mean, huge dramatic deal. You should read it. It's good stuff. And let's take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in a series on faith called Unseen. And if you'd like to hear the full message or even watch the video podcast from Pastor Sean, it's available right now on demand on the sermon page at the River City website called reallife.org. And if you'd like to come and visit River City, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. And back to the message called Marked by Faith. This is Real Life Radio. And after that time, Jezebel the queen says, I am going to kill you, Elijah. And he flees. You're like, man, you just called down fire from heaven. Why are you running? Well, that's another story for another time. But she was bad news. And he flees. And he ends up in this cave, and he's kind of moaning and whining. Really, it is. It's kind of like, you know, oh, God, I'm the only one. Please, oh, God. And he's kind of having this out with God. 
Because the Lord had asked him, why are you here? Because I'm the only one. And the Lord in, in 1 Kings 19 says, no, you're not. You're, you're not the only one. In fact, he says 7,000 people throughout Israel have not yet bowed their knees to pagan gods. They've not been unfaithful to me. 7,000. He says, not only that, Elijah, you are going to go and anoint a new king of Syria. Wait a minute. He's a prophet in Israel of the God of Israel. He's going to anoint a Syrian king? How can that be? Because God's God and he does whatever he wants. And he did. He went and anointed a Syrian king who ended up being used by God for God's purposes. He also was told, you're going to anoint a new king of Israel. And he did. And this king furthered the purposes of God. And he says, and Elijah, thirdly, you're going to appoint a new successor for yourself because you're not the only one. He says, I have a, another who I want to follow in your footsteps. And so that's what we're going to read about here. This is where Elisha comes on the scene, 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 19. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. Some people think that is an indication that he was like the owner of this field. and They were all his and that he was a fairly affluent man. We don't know for sure. We just know there were 12 in front of him. He was with the 12th yoke. So Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. You're like, well, that's kind of weird. You ever had that happen? Stranger walk by and just go put their coat on. Ah, you know. Now, Elisha probably knew who Elijah was. And he also knew what this meant this ceremony, if you will. He put, cast his cloak on him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back for what have I done to you? Another translation of that might be, go back because you know what I've done to you. And he returned from following him. In other words, he went back and he took the yoke of oxen. He sacrificed them. He boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people. They ate it. He took the, the yokes, made them firewood sacrificed the oxen to the Lord, and created a meal for those who were there and his family. And then he left. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he assisted him. There's a symbolic thing in him breaking down those yoke and sacrificing those oxen. In other words, I'm not going back. I'm kind of burning the bridge to my past. I'm leaving everything to follow the master. It reminds me of Luke chapter 5. You remember when Peter was called by the Lord, and Jesus said, come, follow me, you'll be fishers of men. And he says they left everything. They left the boats, the nets, they left it all to follow Jesus. That's what Elijah did. And that's what brings us to 2 Kings 2. Now, let's go back, because we're by the Jordan. And it says in verse 11, as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. It's as though Elijah was a little bit ahead. Elijah's following him. And these, this heavenly manifestation of chariots and horses came, and it was between them. It separated them. Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Can you imagine that? We've seen the power of God, but can you imagine seeing something like that? We have no indication Elisha ever saw anything like that. And he's just sitting there, did I just see what I think I saw? But then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. Some people suggest that that was a sign of mourning because of the departure of his spiritual father. Others say it was the kind of tearing apart his old garments in preparation for what he was about to do. 
He took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? In other words, Lord, are you going to do as the prophet had said? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets, remember those 50 who were there, who were at Jericho, saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Three unbelievably significant developments in this passage. The first is that Elijah, Elisha took up the cloak, or another word that's been used is the mantle from Elijah. He took up the cloak, the mantle of Elijah. It was the same one that had been laid on his shoulders seven years ago. The cloak was kind of significant in this cultural context because it's one of those things that, that you... Most people only had one. It was a heavy outer garment. They'd have multiple shirts, you know, undergarments. They, but the cloak was something, it was more expensive, it was heavier, and it was the only one they'd have. So they would become identified by it. It's interesting, in the law, you couldn't sue someone over debts and take their cloak. You could take almost anything else. We even see some examples, like in the New Testament, where they took wife and kids. Not the cloak. Seems a little weird, but it is what it is. That brings that passage. Remember when Jesus said in... Matthew 5, if someone asks for your shirt, give them your cloak also. It was an incredible step of faith. Because for most people, that was one of their most precious possessions. And because of the fact that it would be the one garment they would have, they would, or the one outer garment, they would be seen in it often. It almost became a point of identity. That's why that placing of the cloak or the mantle became almost like you've accepted a different identity. That cloak now was no longer Elijah's, which you would have seen him and go, well, that's Elijah from a distance. Look, that's his cloak. But now it was Elisha. That mantle meant something. It meant he was identified with the God and the mission of Elijah. Second thing we see here, clearly his his request of a double portion of the Spirit. He was now filled and covered with the Spirit of God. A double portion of the Spirit, just like he'd asked. He was obviously tapping into a different source. And the third thing is that he began to walk in the power of God, that first demonstration of God's power. What had been with Elijah was now with Elisha. And it all began, this manifestation of power, this anointing, this sense of mantle, all began with what happened in chapter 19. He left everything behind in the pursuit of the call of God. He refused to be shaken, which is the beginning and the core of faith. See, that's where we have a problem. That's where it gets difficult for us because we want faith, but we don't want to leave everything behind. We want the stuff that faith brings. We want to talk about faith. But when it comes to saying, I'm going to, I'm going to so put my eggs all in that one basket. I'm going to so trust in him. I'm going to so believe. It's like, whoa, I want faith and. I want faith and kind of my career goals. Nothing wrong with career goals. Don't get me wrong. But to the extent that they are causing you to walk apart from faith and walking an opposite direction of what the Lord has for you, they become a hindrance. Well, I want faith and to kind of have the house that I want and the cars that I want and the dreams that I want and my plans, my goals, my agenda. Like when it comes to say true faith says, I'm going to leave that whole thing behind and I'm going to become his. That's where we have a problem. And we might say, well, but Sean, come on, that's an Old Testament prophet. What does that have to do with us? Listen to what Jesus said to all of us who believe. This is for all of us now. Lest you think this is just for Elisha. 
John chapter 14, beginning at verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. That should cause a little bit of a gulp factor. This is Jesus. You know, walk on water, raise the dead. Jesus talking. Greater works that I've done, those who believe in my name are going to do. Then he goes on, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That should also give us a bit of a gulp factor. We're talking about power. We're talking about a manifestation of faith that is visible and obvious in the life of a believer. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Those who really believe will be different. The uh, the product of their life will be different. What they're about, what they follow, what they organize their life about will be different because they are people who truly believe. They are people of faith. And this all comes down to what real faith is. I mean, people have weird ideas. You ask people about faith, you get some weird ideas. There's a man on the street video. Just take a look. Some of the things people say when it comes to faith. What is faith? What is faith? Um, it's what inspires a person to, to look for... What, is it, what inspires a person to... Uh, that gives meaning to their life, that gives, um, gives them purpose, something like inspires them to, um, to look for things that are beyond themselves, I guess. That's a tough question for off the top of the head. <laughs> yeah. Faith is having the undying trust in anything, whether that be God, your wife, your kids, your ambitions, that no matter what, it's going to work out. You don't need facts to believe it. What do you have undying trust in? The fact that I'm going to die. Faith. Faith is within. So that's where it is. What is it? What is it? Faith is knowledge of knowing something wholeheartedly and believing in it. Faith is that where I left my car a minute ago. When we come back, it's still going to be there. It's faith. Faith, it's a... Uh belief in something that's true that you can't know. Faith. I guess when you don't have anything else to believe in, you kind of just go with that. Faith is getting shot in the head and still having hope. Does that happen to you? Yeah. I got one on. What is faith? You can't believe in something with reason. Faith is kind of the absence of reason, sort of? Yeah, I'd say that. What do you have faith in? Nothing really, I guess. What do you have faith in? Faith in my religion, faith in my family, faith in humanity. A supreme being. I have faith in God. Why? Well, I don't see him, but I see things around me that are created by him. I have faith the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Why? Because it always comes up. What does it take to have faith? You have to have a really good upbringing, a really... A good understanding, uh, morals, conscience. 
How do you have faith on a day-to-day basis? Um, it's tough. I don't know. It's like a mindset, I guess. Yeah, it's something you might have to like train yourself to do. Does it ever get hard to have faith, to keep faith? Yeah, sometimes it is. What do you do to get it back? I read my Bible. You ever lost faith? Yeah, definitely. How did you get it back? I, I, didn't, I don't know if I actually got it back. Oh, I just started believing in myself more, and I started doing more myself. What do you have faith in? People are all over the map. And I think one prevalent idea that, that one of the folks there said is faith is something that kind of defies reason, or you can't know my reason. And the idea is that it's irrational. You know, when I don't have anything else to believe, and I guess faith is what you go with. Hebrews 11, 1 said, faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the conviction, in other translations, of evidence of things not seen. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in this series called Unseen, Awakening Real Faith. And if you'd like to hear the full unedited message and this series, it's available right now when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to come and visit us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Rotama Park. You can find the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.